high time now for our tune of the week. One, let's go. This is the Media Industry Guru Show, the show that exposes you to entertainment, music, film, TV, and tech. We're online 24-7, 24-7. You're listening to the hottest internet station. And we are back on the Media Industry Guru Podcast, interviewing today Louise Oliart. He has worked with a lot of great high-profiled artists, and he is also a musician himself, and he performs with his band, The Hinges, and he's signed to Mesa Blue Moon Records. Here, we're going to talk about the A&R side, the digital media landscape of the music business, and what it's like touring as an artist, and also his upcoming personal and professional goals with his two newest singles, called Hold On To Your Love and Sad and Lonely. And we'll wrap it up with some tips and tricks on how to pursue a career in the music business. So let's welcome Louise to the podcast. Hey Louise, welcome to the podcast. Really excited to have you on and talk about all things in the world of music. Happy to talk to anyone about most anything, but uh, in regards to musically as an artist right now, I'm pretty excited about my band. It's called The Hinges. It's Luis Oliard and The Hinges. And we've been together for about five years and we've come together as a jam band. And, you know, we're all experienced guys that are, some of my guys are in, are in the band Fishbone and they're off in Puerto Rico right now playing. So there's a, we'll work with our, our schedules, but we have a couple of singles coming out. I don't know what the order will be, but it's a song called Hold On To Our Love and another song called Sad and Lonely. And just generally monthly, we play at Ireland's 32 in Van Nuys. We'll be there April 14th. And we play at a place called Urban Press Winery, uh, which is in Burbank. And it's a little more of a wine and cheese upscale vibe, but we still do the same things. Maybe at a little bit of a lower volume. Maybe. Um, definitely, we're dressed a little better. And uh, we do those that show on uh, April 22nd. That's a Friday. So we're doing that monthly. And then the goal for the year would be to release the singles through the through the summer and see what sticks there but to try to the best way to see the hinges is live and that's it's myself uh, norwood fisher the founder of fishbone and john stewart who's been in fishbone for decades uh, chuck uh, charles chuck boogie moore who's the keyboardist from a band uh, from a hip-hop kind of a, a community but he knows the blues and soul and rock and roll better than anybody, too. And he's uh, in the band. And then Jay O'Keefe. And so just like I was in high school, when a band would form organically, I, I dig what I'm doing with the hinges. And I'm as excited as I was when I was a teenager because it, it formed organically. And ultimately, we just we gel like musically as a conversation. Um, so that's what I got going, keeping that simple, you know, and and uh you know, I've got a marketing person that I keep on a stipend that uh, for anyone listening out there, you know, they always say, you got to put the right team together to do what you got to do in this new world of, of uh, social media and stuff like that. And mm-hmm. I went with a guy that used to show up at my shows and I didn't even know he was a marketer. And I, when I wasn't doing so well, I was in a lull, you know, I've been around a long time. So you go in your peaks and valleys like anything. And years back, the attendance wasn't there. And 
and uh, I needed some support and found out he was a marketer. But this guy had supported me for years because he was a fan. And though sometimes, you know, I'd like to be in the hipper this or that, there's something about that loyalty, you know what I mean? And enduring that human relationship that ultimately um, I tell anyone that's pretty priceless, you know what I mean? And and even myself, I can, you know, I've got my QR codes and I'm to date on these things. And if you're talking to, let's say, the new generation of people, you can share the good and bad of the new and the old and ultimately find balance and maybe create the better thing. And I think that's the way to go about it. I mean, as far as artistically um, is, is maintaining that balance. And, and and so that's been a good investment for me. And anything that I wanted to pursue outside of that podcast, here you are, you know, organically come my way. Um, so that's, I have that going on as far as my team goes. And, and I have a label that signed me, Mesa, a bunch of old artists that still have fire, Tommy Emanuel and Layla Hathaway, who's Donnie Hathaway's daughter, mm-hmm. and um, King Sonny Day, you know, like obscure um creative artist so i'm mean, just at that stage now where you're trying to get more people at the shows keep it going just like you did like when i was in bands when i was in my early 20s you know nothing has kind of changed but the social media stuff is helpful in the sense that uh yeah i don't go and you don't see thousands and thousands of likes on one of my thing but relative to my career you know versus the facebook uh when i started there I was in my space and there was this new thing called the Facebook you know and so I joined and but what's yeah. been interesting about that just like the stock market you know you've got that investment and there's still a bunch of people that don't still play CDs or this this and that and look man they're coming to my shows you know or they're supporting me and that's been you know since Facebook started an investment and then you know of course I'm on the IG and then you have Twitter and all those things but I, I felt that um I needed to really back to that word balance stay away from what i could sustain because I'd, I'd managed a lot of things that i've done outside of music that were generally helping people below the poverty line because like in music i you learn skill sets like touring and stuff when you're when i was young and mm-hmm. work ethics and things like that so i helped a lot of people and i always had this mantra you know you got to be able to manage what you create so i couldn't spread myself so thin with all these things that i would have to manage you know, I need to practice, you know, I need to work on my craft. I'm, my metabolism is slowed down. I need to make sure I'm doing some jump roping and some skateboarding and staying in my edge. You know what I mean? And that stuff can take you out of that. So any um, young people, I mean, you didn't ask me my advice, but I'm just basically telling you how I'm staying in business at this later stage in my career, really enjoying it. And I don't think I'm being a freaking shrine of the past i think i'm writing good stuff some of these tunes that i'm releasing i may have written 20 something years ago but i didn't like the recording or they were never released and it's just you're going to your body and it's working for the band does that make sense yeah um I, this is supposed to be dialogue and i'm over here babbling did you <laughs> am i doing okay but <laughs> no this is great um i want to also get your perspective on how labels have progressed and evolved over the time because labels a couple decades ago are very different than now. I mean, they sell merch, they do more e-commerce, more the business to consumer stuff digitally. 
So how has that shifted compared to like two decades ago? Well, I can even, I mean, you're talking to a guy that I can tell you, I was touring the United States um, three decades ago plus. Mm -hmm. You know, I could always kind of hit my mark as a bass player in the old days. And I was in a band called The Wild Cards, which were signed by Chameleon Records. And in those days, while we were rehearsing, just to give you a timeline, I remember being in Brea and we would show up at 9 a.m. and rehearse literally with lunch eight hours a day before we'd go um, for three weeks prior to going on tour for tour, um, uh, two months in a van that we drove and did that. So that was the kind of work ethic that we had. Uh, weren't making tons of money. We were signed, but boy, it was uh, the best of times. But uh, I remember a guy came to rehearsal and said Stevie Ray Vaughan had just gotten killed, just to give you a timeline, and Miles Davis just died. But that label at that time, you know, helped us where we were endorsed by Miller Beer. So you had Miller Beer endorsements, and then in those days, I, I may be out of touch with this, but you know, you have theaters now, and big ticket sales. There was a lot of, in my uh experience a lot more middle-sized rooms that you weren't making tons and tons of money but you could have a sustainable tour where you could go out and they had a built-in ten dollar twenty dollar cover whatever it was uh, a lot of college towns you know and you could go out and sustain yourself and so the label um, gave that promotional support through the beer companies and, and to sell records now remember that's before internet and you were streaming and all that so the credibility of having the label and, and being associated with the producers and all that stuff that was all great that was the idea and that was the model now as you said things shifted then you had the internet was formed and i was around before then and then it came to be and and then you gotta understand it's decades later and here i am as a solo artist and getting signed and the label that signed me remember is not one of these newer um, younger labels so i can't really speak to that more of my students because i'm a teacher are all like oh yeah i'm signed now i'm signed now everyone's signed you know and everyone's touring but then they're saying hey can i sleep on your couch when i'm in oregon you know what i mean so when you say how it's changed we were at least in motel sixes eating ramen with that fake crab <laughs> meat on a ten dollar stipend versus now everyone's signed but they're living on someone's couch so it's changed but i'm not quite sure you know you guys will have to piece that together but I can speak to, as I've been signed now, sure, you've got the credibility with these other artists that I'm with. I've got uh, worldwide uh, through whatever Sony's uh, independent uh, label uh, distribution. I think it's In Grooves, TuneCore, I can't remember. I, I try not to bother myself with too much of that, but I do want to know where the pipelines of income are coming from even if they're trickling in tell every artist if you're not looking out for your money no matter what it is i can assure you okay you might want to put this on loop for about 30 seconds during the <laughs> podcast i can assure you somebody is and the other thing to any young person is please put value on your time put value on your time stay close to your heart and do what feels right for you because your own individuality your work ethic your perseverance and being open-minded is going to serve you no matter what music you're doing you know just just get in there and do your best but back to what you had said so the label provides a credibility they provide distribution and a little bit of a support team with marketing and they do all the things like hey Luis it's great when instead of 
you know, you saying when you say to your friends and say, hey, my buddy Luis, who I did this podcast, this dude's, you know, he's old, but man, he's got some fire. The the credibility that goes with that is nice, you know, and so they help as simple as that sound and obvious as that sounds. I don't think that kind of human interaction and networking ever goes out of uh, style. Mm -hmm. So they're going to take on whatever comes my way and they'll get it out there. But the days of, hey, you know, here's, uh, you know, X amount of thousands of dollars and go in the studio and, you know, and here's the best weed I could possibly give you. And here's some whiskey and wine blues, man. And just <laughs> go in there and create the greatest album ever. I'm just, I don't know, man. I guess the other word I'd use besides balance, uh, Forbes, is adaptability. Mm -hmm. That's a huge, huge um, word and uh, or a, uh, a good a good thing to keep in mind. Not compromising yourself, you know, but adaptability. And I'm sure that's changed, especially with finding talent um, and touring. When you were on tour a few decades ago, um, how do you think it's changed in terms of like, the A&R side of things, like when A&R scouts like find new talent, because there's a lot of good content out there on the DSPs, but at the same time, there could be too much content to sift and filter out. Yeah, um, I would, again, I'm not, there's so many people that I know that could speak to that. Um, I don't ever, I'm not ever out on a gig, you know, these days. And, and if I'm touring now, or going out and doing some dates, let's say in Mammoth, the band plays out there. Norwood, my bass player, would be a better guy who could really, he's, we're the same age, and he's in Puerto Rico right now, and they're still releasing singles, and, mm -hmm. you know, Fishbone is still, so he'd be a man that uh, could really, really speak to the A&R and the shifts and all that. Um, I remember, I can do remember him telling me that, you know, you would be there, and the interns, let's say, like, somebody would get out of college like you and, and our mutual friend Annabelle, and then you'd be interning, clearly qualified, clearly passionate. And then over time, you would be the next VP or the next A&R guy for the label. Do you know what I mean? And so you were, there was an organic climb and of, of ranking. And so that worked out pretty well. Um, and so I don't know how much of that exists anymore with the new model. I, I don't know if it's just, for, for me, just that quick, quick fix okay let's go for the immediate thing and what's the buzz and let's go i don't know much about that uh, mm -hmm. what i could tell your listeners is that um you know human relationship and i wasn't very good at this in the early day forbes i say this because i'd be chasing you know outside of when i was in that sign band you know everything was about the gig and and what i could do and relentless and it was just business 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 you know and and i was a good you know bean counter and and go for it and I just lost touch with the art of who I was and all of those things and it never added up to be that much and then here you are later in life and just kind of like talking to anybody and bringing your best to the shows playing live and taking the music to the people and really working on your craft channeling the best that you got and, and taking it seriously never pipe it in you know sure. never I don't I don't do that I really don't I really don't Sometimes I've had a little too much to drink and I think I'm jamming and maybe I'm not jamming as much as I should be. So you got to back to that balance, you know, there's a, <laughs> there's a you know, line. an adaptability. It applies. Yeah, for sure. But does that kind of answer your question? I, I wish I could be more specific, but I don't like to speak about things I don't know about. You know? No, that's a good overview of it. And 
to kind of get your perspective going back a little bit, you performed at some iconic venues, including Carnegie Hall, BB King's uh, Blues Club. Can you talk about some of those experiences? What have been very memorable from those? Um, you worked with some iconic artists as well, um, including Scott Page, Robbie, as well as Brian. Well, in regards to the places that I've played, um, historically, I played the Continental Club in Austin within two weeks or so after Stevie Ray Vaughan had gotten killed. And so when I was there, there was a concentrated amount of like uh, Steve Jordan was there, uh, who's the drummer that replaced Charlie Watts on the last Rolling Stones tour. And the, the keyboardist was there. And I was just this young guy. And, and I can remember seeing the organist. And I looked at him and I said, hey, hi, I was playing. He saw me get off stage. And I just said, and I, I hugged him. I mean, it, didn't, it was just such a warm, I just as silly as that is, I don't remember half the tour, but I remember hugging Reese in a sincere hug that I mean, he'd lost his, his life changed, his trajectory for as a musician. I remember being at Carnegie Hall. That was not that long ago, maybe 10, 15 years ago. And I was backing up a woman named Kylie Dean, who had sang with uh, Britney Spears as a teenager and then was with Madonna for 10 years. And she, Timberland, the producer had her singing with a bunch, a bunch of hip hop rap artists that don't ask me to tell you who any of them were. I would be on bills and some of them would be there. And I, you know, it was just all moving so fast, but all talented guys, you know, and gals. And so she was with Michael Knowles uh, label, which is Beyonce's dad. And so they would, I had an acoustic guitar and so I could, and I could, you know, put my foot down like an old blues artist on a kick pedal that I had. And then I would percussively play the acoustic and adapt these hip hop grooves on the acoustic guitar. And she could sing on that. And there wouldn't be this band overwhelming her because a lot of, and then the bands are costly to fly around. So he'd fly us and she'd do these one-off gigs. And one of them was Carnegie Hall to play at some massive event where all these people like your age now are going into college were blue ribbon winners or something that was just accolades of high academic achievement and families and everyone. The place was packed and Robert Redford had been one of the alumni and Woody Allen, et cetera, et cetera. And so we were out there and the, with the intention that this young person um, would be an inspiration to those people. And just, so I had my little foot drum and I used to break out my foot drum and mic it. And I remember in the early days, they'd say, don't, people would say, don't bring the foot drum. You know, we don't need the foot. They, they were like laughing at me and my foot drum, knowing the old blues guy to be, you know, you don't think those guys in those days wouldn't have wanted a kick-ass band with electric and all and thumping with some 808 kick. But they, they had to, like, make some things happen. So just like me. So I remember playing Carnegie Hall, okay? And I'm hitting my kick drum, and the place is going. The guy at Carnegie Hall wasn't laughing at my little foot drum. He said, how am I going to mic it up this way? And he mics it up, and then it's going, boom, boom. And 3,000 people, I think that's what it's whole of the young people are going like this to me. No one was laughing at my kick drum then. You know what I mean? As I was playing Carnegie Hall. So that was cool. And the... The most memorable experience about that, though, is you're in the back of Carnegie Hall, and it's got this these pictures of everything you could imagine. Billie Holiday, Miles Davis, oh yeah, the Beatles, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. The biggest iconic musicians of all time. But then you kind of go over to the side a little bit, and there's some other pictures. And there's this picture of uh, Frederick Douglass with his 
you know, he's a pretty built, you know, handsome black dude, this gray hair all, you know, spun out, you know, like almost looking like a 80s pop artist, you know, and he's like this, leaning into no electricity speaking, you know, and then two rows behind him sitting is a guy with the same hairdo, a white guy, and it's um, uh, Mark Twain, his buddy. You know what I mean? So it was that picture wow. that I was like, "Ooh, man, this is some this is some epic shit, man." You know what I mean? But as yeah, much as I was a musician and that was tripping me out, it was like, "Wow, I'm in <laughs> Carnegie Hall, man." So that was that. Um, on another side of it, I did 15 years of uh, bedside tours at the uh, children's hospitals in L.A., wow. where you'd be at these, uh, you know, some of these wards where it was eminent. Or folks weren't going to make it, or ICU, and I did all of those, and I, I never phoned it in, Forbes. You know, I'd always, I'd go with some like, uh, you know, nice soft picking, or I'd play nursery. Mary had a little lamb, little lamb, little lamb, Mary. You know, and and um, I had a great ABCs version too, or Twinkle Twinkle Little Star it was great, but. Um, you know, and I do sometimes my record breaker was like I did 40, 40 rooms and, you know, one tour, which wow, is like an hour and a half, two hours. So, But I did 15 years of that. And I got to tell you that it really shedded a lot of uh, pretense in my playing. I mean, I don't want to get all far out, so, you know, but I do. And I've been told, you know, I can when it's time to play, get into a zone where especially when you're improvising, where you can just. You know, are you are you kidding yourself right now? Are you playing what you know? Are you playing what you're here and, and really pushing yourself to be in your edge? And so those, I think collectively, that whole era of my playing really was very influential to me as a person. Um, and then the rest of it was just like, man, touring. I mean, it was great. I played Canada. I played the, all over the U.S. And my favorite places to play are like the old backwoods roadhouses or a beach club, you know, where... The windows are wide open. Girls are in their bikinis. Dudes, you know, are they have to wear shirts and, it's, and everyone's just, it's cranking. You know, it's the same kind of free-spirited feel. And I, I love that. I love that. But uh, I, I saw the U.S., you know, the United States, um, quite a bit early on. And, and that, the, the traveling and the people that you meet ultimately was the best experience. Yeah. Yeah, I bet the people you mean and also the fan engagement, that's probably one of the most rewarding parts as an artist is being able to connect with your fans on that deeper level. Yeah, I mean, it's good that you say that. I, I think that is a great, uh, actually, you know, fan builder. And then I would say, you know, a regret I've had in life, you know, prior to, I was a bass player in Thailand and, uh, back in the day when Kurt Cobain had killed himself and Freddie Mercury had died. And I did almost two years as a bass player out there. And I just wish that I'd have, again, you didn't have the social media you have now, but you did kind of have an email or you could write letters in those days, you know, and I, it's a regret that I didn't hang on to more of those human relationships along the way. I mean, you can't be best friends with everybody, but it's, it's of, like you're saying, that is of great, great value. And I can't emphasize um, that more. And I, for this new generation with all this, this is how you act. And this is, oh my God, I'm immersed in this digital shower. I fucking can't get in. Oh, it's another digital rabbit hole to go down. You know, just go outside and put your fucking hands in the soil every once in a while. You know what I mean? In all seriousness, don't, yeah, just be careful. Be careful with that. 
And do you have, I know you have a couple singles that you're releasing pretty soon. Do you have any other professional or personal goals in your journey? Well, the, the professional goal is I want to do a live record. I'm, I did the singles because, you know, uh, sometimes you just, again, back to adaptability, uh, Norwood and John both had really busy schedules where they were going, you know, and I, and I wish I want them to succeed. I want that band to thrive, you know, so they're touring with the, with Fishbone and I didn't want to rush a live recording. So I said, well, if this is what the calendar looks like, I knew I could put a click track on, sing a performance and then start to build the track in my home studio. And that's what I did with everyone's schedule. So we got, that was to adapt to people not being available, but still wanting the band in the same room per se. But now you may be sometime in July, we're trying to get it where we're all in a, a planned, like a theater that can record and video well, you know, and just do the best of the tunes that land the most consistently and play live. Cause that's what we are. Albums that I like, or, you know, we want miles, miles Davis live, Donnie Hathaway live at the Troubadour. You know, a live record experience where you can feel the energy of the people and the imperfection and, and all of that. And, uh, you know, for posterity's sake, you know, for sure. that's one of my professional goals right now. And to wrap things up for our episode, are there any pointers that you could get for recent college grads, people in their 20s uh, that want to work either on the business side of the music industry or be an artist like yourself? Well, I... It's hard, depending on somebody's path, it's it's hard to dictate like, you know, a work instruction um, to-do list. To, But I think personally, each person, you know, know what makes you happiest. Stay healthy, you know, try to keep, stay of sound uh, body, mind, and spirit first off. Sure. And, you know, but that means don't kid yourself. That could mean the dis there's disciplines that come with that. And what I mean is if you have to get up early and you don't want to and you're out late the night and this, this and that, you know, if you're not grinding it out a little bit, especially when you're young and you're cultivating the seeds that grow, you're you're slacking, man. You And if you're living in L.A. or one of these places, I'm from here, man. I'm from Inglewood. Let me tell you, Tinseltown, it's not a bunch of angels. You, you It breeds you tough people to, that work hard. You have to or you're going to get eaten alive out here. You know how it is. So I would say, have your have your self disciplines together. Um, and if you're starting out, I would try to keep keep the overhead low, as low as you can. Whatever your means are and your lifestyle is, keep the overhead low. But you know, look good and 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 feel good about yourself and work on your craft and whatever you're doing. Go out each and every day and do it well. And don't if it's not working, you know perseverance give it give it some time i mean you've been asking some great questions in the sense of like what's happening today what's happening six months from now and, and and a year out and those those kind of goals are i think are very very healthy and they it never changes no matter what stage in the life cycle you're in to keep your own personal drive otherwise you plateau don't plateau and then think you've arrived or something try to keep moving investing in yourself and and then recognize um, if you don't do something, especially when it's a grind, um, you're not going to get to the other side of something to get clarity on where you may be going for the next thing. Even with your playing, if you're starting out like everyone kind of mimicking, you're mimicking, you're mimicking, you're mimicking. 
which is great. Mimic what you really, really love and why not mimic the best that's ever been? You know what I mean? And why shoot for anything less? But then at some point, you know, artistically, you're going to know that you're going to forget about that you're mimicking and that's going to amalgamate into some indoctrinated style of your own, you know, if it filters through you. But you got to put in the time, you know, to get to the other side of that. Right? Yeah, there's a lot of effort that's um, within you that you have to put forward or else it's not going to, there's no outcome. Yes. Well, awesome. Thank yes. you. Yes. Louise, for being on the podcast, wishing you great success personally, professionally with your upcoming releases. Um, hold on to our love and sad and lonely. Hey, man, I, great, great time. And I've got your email now and I'll keep you posted. Maybe I'll do I get you on IG. Yeah, take care. I wish you nothing but the best. Thank you for tuning in to this week's episode of the Media Industry Guru podcast. Check out the Instagram at Media Industry Guru for all the details on the latest and coolest, I mean coolest, upcoming episodes that you will hear. Email at Media Industry Guru podcast at gmail.com for any other interviews that you would like to hear or if you would like to be on the air and give a little promo or talk about yourself or just even chat with me because you know I'm I'm doing this. I'm invested in this. And tune in weekly 6 p.m. Pacific, 9 p.m. Eastern on Tuesdays on the Anchor app, Spotify, Stitcher, Pocket Cast, Breaker, and many more streaming platforms. Thanks again for all of the support and peace out and let's rock and roll.